Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Business of Fitness podcast with me, Molly Herford, here on the Feisty Media Network. So we are in the middle of Market Yourself March. I hope you've been learning a lot from our past couple guests, Allison Tetrick, Jeanette Sherman, just so many good insights, sort of no matter what budget, what level business you're at, uh, whether you're side hustling or working for a corporation or you're you know, just kind of thinking about starting that small business, I feel like we've had so many really great takeaways. And today is very similar. We have my dear friend Ann Guzman of Nutrition Solutions, Ann Guzman, and the Imperfect Progress podcasts on to talk all about how she handles marketing for a nutrition company, or rather as a nutritionist, and you know the, the work that goes into that. I think this is a great one because Anne isn't necessarily a marketer. She's sort of a one-woman show, although now we'll call it one and a half, almost two-woman show uh, with her business. And I just really like that we got to talk about all things marketing-related including, you know, how a podcast is a marketing platform. Uh, and I think it just it's really real for where a lot of us are at, right? Like most of us are not necessarily paying for PR teams or hiring a marketing exec. We're all trying to kind of figure this out on our own, at least at first. So I think she just has some really great insights into how to go this alone and how to, you know, Make the make these really great episodes of her podcast and manage to keep the business going and doing all of these other things. So I just really appreciated her, you know, really valuable, really real input. And I think it's it's meeting a lot of us where we're at right now. So without further ado, please enjoy this chat about all things podcasting, all things marketing and small biz, all the fun stuff with Ann Guzman. All right. Business of Fitness podcast here with my good friend, sports nutritionist, Ann Guzman. Ann, welcome to the show. Thank you. So awesome to see you again. And you have sun coming in your windows, so I'm very I jealous. We, I know. <laughs> we are living in British Columbia, Ontario with no mountains. <laughs> just constant drizzle, just constant gloom. Yeah. I've heard the winter up there has not been fantastic and I'm glad I'm skipping it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> However, the sun is like kind of annoying in this case because it's uh it's thrown off my video game, but that's that's the podcasting world when you're on the road. Anyway. <laughs> you look good. <laughs> same, same to you. Um, so let's let's just kind of like dive in here with the short version of your business journey so far, the quick, how you got started, where you're at now, when someone says, what do you do, how you're explaining it? Give us just the backdrop, the backdrop. Okay. I'll give you a fast backdrop. So I've always been in the kinesiology sports science world. Um, I lived in the health health club world for a while and the pharmaceutical sales world. And then I discovered cycling and it became a big part of my life. And that came from wrestling, wrestling to cycling. So it was a big, a big change. But even so, I was still interested in, you know, how those sports differ even. So I'm super keen on the physiology part of everything. And even when I did my undergrad, I majored and took a lot of courses in nutrition. It's always been an interest of mine. And if I'm honest, the physiology is the part I'm more interested in. And then how food applies to that and works with our physiology versus let's say someone who's super interested in the food itself, right? So the chemistry of the food. So a little bit of a different 
twist on what interests me. So I got into bike racing, continued to be super interested in nutrition, sports nutrition, which I had been all throughout, you know, my time in health clubs and pharmaceuticals. It was part of why I left pharma because I was deep down. I knew that I valued the preventative side of health, not that pharmaceuticals are not important. Of course they are, but it just at some point I was like, yeah, you know what? Like I want to be on the other side still. So during my cycling journey, um, you know, I kept dabbling and learning and took, you know, the old NSCA courses and read Louise Burke's textbooks and Ask Your Duke and Drips. And there's still gurus of sports nutrition globally. Um, and I just always continued to self-teach myself as well. And in 2010, I got invited to a camp, a cycling camp with Tim Kuzik and Hunter Allen. And I did sports nutrition there and we went cycling. And that was the beginning of me really falling in love with it because I got to, I got to be around people. I love being around energized people. Um, I love helping people. And I think after that, I just kind of increased my momentum a lot and started focusing more on sports nutrition. Now, I was still racing until 2012, but in all fairness, my last year of racing was horrendous. So the, <laughs> the merging into, you know what, I think I'm done with this. It's actually not working for me. I'm not feeling very happy racing anymore. Um, and then just deciding I'm going to give this a go and going into sports nutrition full time. So yeah, I still actually communicate with Tim, which is cool. And he was, uh, yeah, an integral part of me. I ended up working with uh, Peaks Coaching Group and now he has joined Basecamp.com and I'm a part of that on Zwift. And so we're still um, in touch. And yeah, he's a big part of me really deciding that, you know what, I'm going to do this. And I went to some more camps and yeah, it was amazing and helped me just make that decision, I guess. Mm -hmm. Do you remember when you first got started? Did you have like those moments of, I hate to use the phrase imposter syndrome because that's just such an icky phase or phrase, but like, did you have the, oh my God, I'm going to do this. Like, oh no, kind of like clutch. And what got you, what got you through it to be like, nope, I can do this. I can make this work. Yeah. I'm sure you've heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? So I think I was more confident back then in some way than now, because it's almost the more you know, the more you realize there's more to know. So I think in my early days, I, you know, I was reading everything. I, I could, I can help you. I can help you. Right. But by 2010, that was a little different, but still I, I was more confident in a different way because I didn't know how much there was to know. I would say that would be something that imposter syndrome, I would deal more with now on occasion. And especially after doing my master's two years ago, you know, when you really dig into a topic deeply, you realize, wow, there's so much to know. I am just scraping, you know, the top of this. And that gave me a lot of that sense of, Ooh, I don't want to say anything because these people know so much more. And it, it takes me to step back and be like, hold on a second. You do know a lot. And there are a lot of people who don't know anything about this topic that are athletes. So I have to remind myself that, first of all, the basics of sports nutrition are still so important. And a lot of people don't know that even like elite athletes. So I always come back to that, like, don't, don't think you have to get into the weeds on everything. And, you know, every person who's been 25 years in X 
specific area of physiology like that. You don't need to compare yourself to that. They are complete experts in that topic, right? And yeah, so I think I was actually more confident in 2010. <laughs> not more confident. That's that's not true because I can look back and say, wow, I've learned a lot since 2010. Um, so now I would say my confidence is um, more real. Yeah, I was going to say it's it's that more realistic, like you you recognize that you don't know everything and that no one does. And I think it's funny, as as you were talking about that, I was just kind of thinking about how many, you know, I'm going to say quote here, TikTok experts there are right now who are very confident when they're giving out some of this information that is very inaccurate. Yeah, oh, for <laughs> so sure. It's a very interesting dichotomy we have now because I, I do feel like you know, every time I interview a dietitian or a nutritionist that I I really trust and, you know, believe in, they always caveat everything with it depends. So anytime I hear someone not say it depends on a nutrition question, I'm instantly like, oh, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's very true. And even when I podcast, like I know I'm rarely going to get a black and white answer from my guests because 90% of them are scientists. Um, yeah, I don't know if you you should throw up a Dunning-Kruger image after this podcast, but essentially when someone starts something, their confidence is up high. And then as they learn, it actually drops. And then as they become an expert, it comes up higher, but never as high as when they're beginners. And that's so important. And that's probably what we see a lot of on social media, right? You're so excited when you're learning something new. You want to tell everyone. And that's that phase right there. And then I think as you really start to learn and yeah, I mean, I laugh at myself. I look back at things I used to say in 2004. I was the person who would drink the lemon water in Cayenne with maple syrup. I can admit that, right? And I'd be like, yeah, you know, I should, yeah, I should do this in the morning. And but you know, if you're if you're not looking back and almost laughing, I, I had a podcast recently with the Emer Dolan, Dr. Emer Dolan, and she she said this, if you're not looking back and laughing at some of the things you used to say, you're not learning and growing. So I'm okay to say those things and things I used to say about protein and how much we needed and all of those things that I've evolved and learned more about. I mean, that's that's part of the process. And I do think it is important to take a stance at some point. I mean, even if even if a few years later, you know, you learn more information, more information becomes available and you change that stance. But I I do think you you can't go through life with like it depends on everything and like just never having any kind of opinion on a thing. Um, and actually, on that note, so when you are podcasting and we'll get to the actual podcast in a minute, but. How do you get experts to go beyond it depends and like get a real like, okay, it depends, but what's the answer? Yeah, I mean, I would say a lot of them don't necessarily always say it depends unless unless I were to. The thing is, I I don't put them in the scenario to have to give me a 100 percent answer. Mm -hmm. Right. But if I'm talking about, let's say, carbohydrate intake during um, racing. You know, I just did a podcast on that this week. It's not out yet, but for sure, there was a big, it depends on that topic because we're, we, we were talking about competitive elite cyclists, but there was an, it depends if you're exercising one hour, three times a week, right? So it, I find I don't often have to 
say it because the it depends is well explained in Mm -hmm. sense. And they are taking a stance in the sense that, yes, for high performing endurance athletes, we know a high carbohydrate diet is, you know, the best for performance. So that stance gets taken. It's more that there's often caveats or we don't know yet. So with my bone research um, interviews, bone is, you know, everything is evolving science, but bone is really, you know, there's so much to learn still, right? It's a young science compared to, to muscle in a sense. And so there's a lot of, well, this based on what we know so far, right? So you can take a stance based on what we know today. And then just saying, maybe we'll learn more, you know, in five years, we will learn more in five years, 10 years, and that opinion can change similar to vegetarian protein, right? 10 years ago, some of the best scientists in the business, protein gurus on muscular physiology would have said 10 years ago that no, it's not equal to meat protein. And now those same scientists are saying, yes, it is. You can build the muscle the same. There was literally a thing in the New York Times today that had like 10 nutritional myths and that was one of them. Right. Yeah. So I I think as scientists, it's it's very common. You can take a stance, but it's based on what the science is today. And science is always evolving. So hundred percent. Yeah. Um, okay. So when you kind of got into the nutrition space and you decided this is what I want to do, you kind of have two options. I find like you can kind of go really wide with just like nutrition and, you know, just kind of doing that more like health clubby kind of thing where you're taking on everyone, but you've really focused on that, like cycling uh, and mostly I think elite cyclists, you can correct me if I'm wrong there, uh, or people who want to be in that like elite sphere, we'll say, who are taking cycling very seriously. What, how did you make that decision to go niche? And do you still feel like that was the move? Great question. I I didn't go super niche at first, but I definitely went niche in the endurance world. I work with or worked with a lot of masters athletes or, you know, age group athletes earlier on. And I think that's where a lot of my learning came from. And I'm glad I did that. Also, just from word of mouth, I ended up working with a lot of triathletes and runners. And I come from a running family. So although I am not a runner, I I have run. I've never done a triathlon, but I worked with enough triathletes to learn the intricacies I think that's what attracted me to working with cyclists is once you know sports nutrition well, of course you can work with any type of athlete, right? There are principles that apply. But I love being able to speak to a client and we both get what it feels like to have dry mouth in the first five minutes of a crit. We both know what needs to be done to ride in minus 10 for three hours or do six, six days of racing in a row. So having that relatability to me is important because I like to connect to people and that helps me to connect to people. And that's good for building trust. So it makes for great relationships that you really get how someone feels. Now I could also go talk to a soccer player and probably relate to a lot of the sensations, right? I played soccer growing up my whole life. But yeah, I'm so I've been so immersed in cycling that I think I, I really like the banter that comes with it, right? It, it helps to build camaraderie. And yeah, it's exciting that you can cheer someone on and know the event that they're going to race because you're familiar with it. And even Ironmans, I've never done an Ironman, but I've worked with enough 
triathletes that have done them, then I'm familiar with the courses mm-hmm. and like where you get your feeds and that type of thing. So I like that about being niched. Having said that, I've worked with a lot of rowers. I do presentations for rowers. I worked with the rower this winter. So it's not that I don't, but I think that's why, because I, I like that connection and relatability. And I think that helps the relationship, coaching relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, every sport has just so many puzzle pieces that go with it. With cycling, we're talking about like, can you get the gel out of your back pocket? Like the gel might be the best fuel for you, but if you can't reach it, then it's not going to be as good as a sports drink. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. And you said one thing that, um, so I did slowly over time, I now work with more elite athletes. And the reason for that, so I have someone that works for my business. And so a lot of times she will now take um, a lot of the athletes that come to me. The reason I really love to work with elite athletes is the focus is so much on performance. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love. And, And I've realized that took me a long time to to recognize and it's not that I don't care if people want to lose weight or people want to work on other health concerns I mean that's I spent 15 years helping people with pain management and all these different things that they might want to work on but I just can't get away from the fact that I love performance so when someone's got their eye on something I find those athletes are very willing to do the work And that's half the battle, right? I'm a guide. I have knowledge and tools, but if someone's not going to meet me and put in the time, we're not going to progress. And I want to work with someone who's all in. I found it harder and harder over time to work with um, people who were 30, 40% in. So I think that's a big part of why that has shifted. It's just a mentality that I relate to. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. This time of year, you know, we're recording this in January. This time of year, I always find really funny because you hear so many goal-oriented like podcasts and articles and stuff that are just like, just take that first step of like booking the appointment with the nutritionist or dietitian, booking the appointment with the coach. And then, you know, we we see it all the time. Obviously, uh, my husband Peter is a cycling coach. We see it all the time where people kind of think of that as like the first step. And then that's the only step. Uh, they for some reason have this like weird thing where okay I did that like check and that's it so that I think is that like 30 percent uh dedication there like they'll they'll do the meeting they'll you know have like the list of everything they should be doing after that or could be doing after that and then nothing (laughs) and it's it's frustrating (laughs) yeah it's a question I ask on an intake form out of 10 how committed to this are you like I really want people to give me the truth there. Mm-hmm. If it comes back as a three, like that's difficult for me to commit, right? Just because someone comes to you for business, it doesn't mean you want to work together because it's a team effort. And if I'm going to put in a lot of time to look at your training, to look at your nutrition, to look at your race schedule, you know, some people might look at that differently. Um, well, it's business is business, but for me, it's important that I'm going to help people progress. And I actually don't want to just do that. And then someone disappears. And even, even if they've paid me, like that's not satisfying for me from a business perspective, right? I want, I actually want to help people and I want to help them feel better and perform better and help. And that just leads to so many things for confidence. And yeah, so it's not satisfying. Yeah. 
it's really interesting because it does seem like the easier and definitely the the higher dollar thing would be to to be leaning into that side versus the elite side. Um, and to me, like it's like I understand how scary it can be to be working with elite racers. So I mean, I'm not even sure what my question is. I just kind of wanted to call out like it's very impressive to make the decision that like, no, I actually really want to do the performance thing, not the thing that's going to just kind of be the the easy version of this job. Uh, because working with an elite racer where like, you know, I think we've even talked about this, like the difference between the Olympic gold and like finishing the Olympic race could be the nutrition. Like that's a responsibility and a half. Yeah, you make a good point. However, I think the very dedicated masters athlete is also very difficult. So I think they're both a lot of work in different ways. I get what you're saying. The stakes are higher with an elite athlete. I mean, it, it's not to put value on one or the other, but you know, if you want to win the nationals or you're going Sorry. to, a and I mean, versus cup. like, I mean, versus like the undedicated masters athlete who's that oh, okay. three yeah, out of yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I think that's what I like is the detail. I like the detail, but that takes a partner. Right. And you don't always get it, which is fine. If you have an elite athlete who's 50% into the nutrition, well, I hope I'm still helping them because I can't make them follow through. Right. But I can still give them the tools the best that I can based on what they have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the stakes are higher, absolutely, from a performance perspective. And it, you know, it's their career for a lot, for a lot of them, not for all of them, but for some of them. No, I like it. And it seems very much like this is your why. It's like this very like specific thing. And that's like what you value is helping the people who really want that performance get that performance. Yeah. And I think a lot of amateurs take sport very seriously too, right? So they don't have to be um, a World Cup racers. To me, I think an elite athlete is someone who's taking their sport really seriously and that doesn't mean you have to be racing a world cup, but you're really focused and it means a lot to you. Yeah. No, I love that. Uh, and you did mention bringing someone into your business. Um, I think Brittany, is it? Mm -hmm. So yes. what made you make that decision? Cause that's also a big, scary decision to make as a solopreneur. Yeah. That took me about a decade. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally serious. Because when you're a solopreneur, you are your brand, right? And as you said earlier, TikTok has a lot of experts, right? Nutrition in general, because everyone eats, everyone assumes that everyone can help everyone else eat, or you, you know, you lost weight one way, so so and so must be able to do the same. For me, I, I struggled with that. And it wasn't, it's, I always, it's hard to explain, because it, I don't want it to sound arrogant, and it's not. I needed someone who had my philosophy, right? Because with sports nutrition, I mean, you know that there are people that truly still believe a ketogenic diet is the way to go for high performance cycling, right? So obviously there, there had to be alignment. Also, it took me time because I loved having 15 clients at one point and I don't love that anymore, right? There are other things I want to expand in my business and, and grow on. And so now it was like, okay, do I just stop this business? 
No, because a lot of people are still reaching out to me. So that took me a while to figure out and a while to find someone. And actually, and was Brittany's mentor when she was at Niagara College for Sports Nutrition. And so I got to know her through that mentorship and to trust her. And that's a big deal because if someone's coming on as a contract to your business, what's to say they are not going to somehow start taking clients? And if you have deals about, you know, certain percentages and how clients come in and how those percentages split, I mean, you really need to trust somebody. Yeah. And I really trusted her and we've had a great relationship and I love her philosophy. We align on most things. And even if we're a little off on some, it's okay. Um, yeah. So that, that was really hard, but I've been really lucky. And I think about growing it more. And that again, is the difficult part is finding that person. And, and again, it, it's also hard because it's not her, you know, it's not her only job. Right. So you also have to find someone who really is an entrepreneur as well and wants that as a piece of their job. So I'm not sending her 40 clients a month. Right. So, yeah, there's a lot, a lot to finding the right person, which is really difficult to do. Yeah. Well, I think the the doing mentoring is actually a really interesting way of I mean, even if you don't end up working with said mentee, um, it gives you a good experience as doing a bit more of like a leadership and like seeing how someone's philosophies are aligning with you with kind of a lower, lower stress. Like you're not, you know, putting your clients in their hands yet. You're just kind of working with that person. So that's a really kind of smart way of finding like even your own like leading style, really. Yeah, for sure. Unfortunately, it was during COVID, I think. So I think, yeah, it was, it was the first time that Niagara had done that. So hopefully they've, you know, expanded that program and not, but it was probably challenging for her. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. It's funny you you mentioned something a second ago that made me think of the only time I have ever commented on a blog in a negative way was I was reading one that was like a list of like 10 ways to make like a side income. And the one was like, if you've ever lost weight or like, you know, transformed your body, like you could help coach other people to transform their bodies or lose weight. And I was like, Absolutely not. It's the one time I've ever left a mean comment and I was so mad about it. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, it, I think it goes the other way as well, which is a tweet I put out last year that was controversial and got, I'm not really a controversial person. That wasn't the intention, but essentially saying that someone doesn't have to be ripped to be a good personal trainer and someone doesn't have to be super lean to be a good nutritionist. And boy, did people disagree with that. <laughs> And I found, <laughs> I just found that really interesting because imagine, here's what I thought to myself. Like, imagine you're working with an Olympic team you, and you literally have put so much into this and you don't have time to take care of yourself the way you used to. So, you know, you just are such an expert, but yet, even if you were once an elite athlete, like you don't have that kind of time. And then, so let's say, for example, your your body changes. It blows my mind that someone would think, "Oh, that person's no longer not capable. Like they're X pounds overweight. Like that's that's insanity. Like it's it's called your brain and your experience." And yeah, so that blows my mind on the opposite spectrum of what you were yep, saying. Yep. Yep. <laughs> no, absolutely. Uh, and you know, if I think about some of the brilliant people I've interviewed about you know, cycling nutrition or about, you know, personal training and stuff. And like, you know, they're, they're not winning 
you know, He-Man or bikini competitions or whatever, whatever the heck. Right. But they're still who I would consider to be like the leaders in the field. Exactly. Okay, here's the deal. You want to take control of your health, of your life, but honestly, who has the time to go into the doctor, get the requisition for all the blood work, and then go to the lab and actually have that blood drawn, then wait weeks for the doctor to get back to you with the results? No, absolutely not. Inside Tracker is the way to go. And bonus, you can do it from the comfort of your own home with their mobile blood draw. It is so easy. Oh my gosh, so convenient, so safe, so reliable. All you have to do is when you order your Inside Tracker panel, you actually just add the mobile blood draw option and then boom, suddenly you have a lab tech at your house at a time that works for you to take your blood. We did this last month and honestly, it was the easiest experience I have ever had with blood draws in my life. So convenient. And then the turnaround on the results is so quick and instantly you get this whole view of what is going on inside you with all of the important biomarkers that you need as an athlete, as an entrepreneur, as a go-getter. So definitely, definitely check them out. Save time in your day, add time to your life with Inside Tracker's mobile blood draw. And if you visit insidetracker.com backslash feisty, you get 20% off today. That's insidetracker.com backslash feisty to get 20% off today. You've done a really, really good job of establishing your expertise in the realm of sports nutrition. I mean, if you go to your website, there's a banner at the top that has all of the places you've been featured, which is pretty much all of the you know main endurance sport publications at this point. Uh, I'm going to take some credit for a few of those. <laughs> a lot of them. <laughs> well, you are my my like absolute best person to interview for anything because you're you're so good at it and it's just so easy to to talk to you about all of these things and I know you're always going to have like a great answer, but on that note, I mean, how do you decide or you know, how have you figured out like how to how much to give away for free not just talking to me and other journalists but you also do a podcast you're you know quite active on social media i know you and i have talked about uh you know instagram posts that then get you know put in places that you didn't necessarily like ask them to but it's also free publicity so it's a bit of a weird give and take so how do you how do you decide how much to give away and how do you make it worth your while <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. It's an important question that has become more important to me in the last, I would say in particular in the last year. It's changed a lot since I first started. I mean, you always have to hustle, but when you're first starting, you have to hustle more, right? You, you need all of the knowledge. You're constantly learning. I'm still constantly learning, but when I was really getting started, it was all about, okay, how, how much can I do? How many people can I meet? I was much more out in the community because I was still racing. So that was really helpful. And I did do a lot of speaking engagements for either free or not for a lot of money. Now, part of that was me not – I guess I've learned about value and charging – but that that has taken time. And in fairness, it's changed with an increase of experience and knowledge. Right. So I did used to do more free talks and whatnot. And it makes sense to me that I did. Again, I was trying to build my brand, get out there. Um, I was out at camps and but as time has passed, you know, life is a lot busier. Um 
my business has changed. I've gained a lot more experience. And for sure, I can't say yes to everything. I'm amazed how many emails I get um, on people that want just free advice. Like, I mean, five pagers about their cycling experience. And at the end, do you have any advice for me? And I mean, I would love to be able to take the time to answer all of those, but but that's my job. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's what I do for a living. So how do I say yes now? Now it, well, you see, I know you, I respect you and I've worked with you and my experiences have been good. I've had some poor experiences and of course I would never name names. I've had some several, I would say at least 10 poor experiences with interviewing and where my words have been wildly changed when they hit the print. And that has stopped me from saying yes to maybe 99% of future interviews that will be written. Because that to me, that eats me because that's my credibility. And when I see that in a magazine or on the internet, and I think, oh my God, I did not say that. You know, those that switch of words completely made me sound like an idiot. And it's not about my self-esteem. It's about credibility, right? So that's why I say no to a lot of written interviews. Also, it takes a lot of time. Sometimes you'll be asked, um, oh, would you like to contribute to this article? Here, I'm going to send you some questions. And I'm the type of person that's going to spend two hours on those questions, right? So if one sentence comes out of that, you know, then I need to check myself on why did I just spend that time? Um, now I want to contribute to things that help people. And I've decided to pick like two things a year. So one of them I just did is I'm mentoring for a new program called Undaunted that is mentoring uh, up and coming and some already elite and Olympic female cyclists. So that's cool. I just did like a cycling and bone presentation for them on Monday evening. And I love that, right? Afterwards, we had a Q&A and these, these women are so interested to learn. There's so much and I love that energy and I see that I'm helping them. So that feels valuable to me. Um, the other thing I like about it is it's it's helping more than one person at once, which is nice, right? Because then you can it's recorded for them. They can go back and listen to it. Yeah, I guess I just value myself more and I value my time more. So I'm a lot more careful. And again, I've had some, as you mentioned, I've had people full on take my blogs and, and throw them into a published magazine that I'm like, wow, you know, now at the end, they'll, they'll credit my name, but I'm just surprised sometimes what happens in, in the world. <laughs> it's pretty wild. Yeah. I'm more careful with my time and uh, yeah, I can't afford to say yes anymore. You know, I have a six-year-old daughter. I run a business. I'm a content manager. I, I need to exercise. I have a partner. Like life is legitimately like get up and go to bed and all that stuff. It has to make sense. It has to make sense for me now. Yeah. Well, and to your point about, you know, getting, getting misquoted, especially with nutrition, like I cannot stress enough, the nuance of even just like the shift of a couple words can completely change the meaning of what you said. So yeah, there is, it's just so, so important. Um, before I pick apart other, other journalists, <laughs> but you, you did kind of remedy that a little bit by starting your own podcast. So you have the imperfect progress podcast, um, which I think is probably like a 
brilliant way of this way you don't have to worry about you know if other people are you know deciding to write what you said in a certain way now you're just getting to say it and you're getting to talk to people and kind of put that all that out there so what what made you decide to start it to begin with because I, we you know i was just outspoken and so many women were like oh i really want to start a podcast and they have you know coaching businesses or something to that effect and i'm like that's amazing it is so much work. Um, so <laughs> oh, yeah. let's talk about it. <laughs> Absolutely. I I wanted to for several years before 2020. And I had been speaking with David Swain, who now is a VP of content at Strava. And I'd been writing on his platform, theprokit.com, which you know, now he's at Strava. So that's, that's not really as prominent, but it's, it's still out there with lots of great data on it. And I would mention, oh, I want to do a podcast. And I think he kept kind of egging me on. Oh, you should. And then he had one. And I think he, he was part of my inspiration to actually do it, even though I thought about it a lot. So COVID started, I was finishing my master's and it was April, I think, or May was my first episode. I finished I finished my master's in October, but so it was kind of this crazy time, but still it's, it's almost funny that I started it then because it really was, as you know, a crazy time. I think I missed having intellectual conversations is probably what it is. And I love reading literature. I love reading research and then having conversations about it. And during COVID, I mean, you're with the same person all the time, right? I I think part of it was that I needed to be communicating with other people as well. And I had lost touch with my circle of sports science because I wasn't out there, you know, doing talks and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I love to talk about sports science. So I think that's what pushed me. And once I got started, I've learned a lot about what I like in the last few years. And I've realized that I love learning and doing my podcast keeps me on my toes and it's my choice. So it's a funny choice because it's kind of a hobby that I would love to be my full-time job, but (laughs) that aside, but it's my choice that I have to go into a rabbit hole before every episode and learn about the topic. I don't have to do that, right? So it depends how you want to run your podcast. You could have someone on that's an expert in something and literally just ask them questions and know nothing about it. Totally fine. That's just not how I operate. So when they answer things, I want to know enough. I'm not going to know what they know. They've been studying it for 20 years in some cases. But I want to know enough that I can ask good questions and reciprocate what they're saying or pull on threads and dig deeper And it's interesting for me, right? Not only do I want to translate that science to people, but it's cool to just get those little intricacies that you might not hear otherwise. The other reason I started it is because women in science. So I'm a scientist, I'm female. I don't believe there are enough women in science um, in the public. And I also always try to alternate and have a female guest every other um, or at least have a a 50-50. And that's important to me that I'm getting those voices out there to a broader audience because I know that a lot of science just sits in PubMed and ResearchGate. And most people don't go there, right? 
the average non-scientist is not going to PubMed to read research. So a big part of, I guess my why, my number one why for doing it is to translate the science in an accessible way to the athletic population. And I tend to focus on endurance, but it's not all about, you know, performance and cycling. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's why I started. I really needed that intellectual engagement on a regular basis it's a self push to keep learning about different topics uh, related to sports science. And then I want to be one of the women in science who's out there. And hopefully I can even inspire another young lady that, that loves science to, to learn and, and do the same. I love that. Yeah. I, I always say I started just because I, I started both of my podcasts now because I love just having these conversations. And I actually remember arguing with the USA Cycling uh, to renew my coaching license a couple times because you have to do like 10 CEUs, which is like, you can take like a couple of like 60 minute online courses and like do them. And I was like, here, I have interviewed 75 people for like yeah. more than an hour about the science of cycling and nutrition and all this stuff. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm good on continuing education now. And they're like, yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah, exactly. I actually won that round. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, you meet, you meet great people, right? Mm -hmm. So exactly. I mean, that's, that's a big one for me. It's a great way to network. And the last question of my podcast is always about my guest. So although I love science, I also love people and I always want to take time to to learn a little bit more about them too. So yeah, it's a great way to meet. I, I've just met so many awesome people through my podcast. It's amazing. I love it. Okay. On the very practical level, when you first started, what equipment did you have? What were you using to put it out there? Zero. I had my laptop. That's not zero. I shouldn't say that. It's a privilege to have a laptop. I had a laptop. So that's it. My first episode was on Zoom um, with... Tim Kuzik. There, he comes up again. <laughs> I have to tell him he's on this podcast. Uh, yeah, so we did a Zoom. It's actually, I don't do video podcasts right now. I might start just for marketing reasons, but he was a video podcast. And I think Leah Kirchman was as well. But yeah, that's it. That's all I had. And then I spoke to you and I asked you, what kind of mic do you use? And I went the first two years with my little Samsung, Samsung Go mic, which you know what we've had for like seven years now. It's still great. Like it's Peter is currently using it in the other room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And then just recently, like I upgraded to this sweet, sure. Um, Mike, which, Hey, so the sound is better, but that took me two and a half, almost three years. Right. And it sounded fine. You can start, you can start on your phone. You know, if you're out there and you don't have a computer, you can start on your phone. If you're out there, you don't have a phone you know, start in a computer. If you don't have a computer, maybe you can go to the library. You know, if you really want to do it, there's a way you just need a computer speaker. So that's how I started. And I learned everything, which was really cool and super frustrating. There are episodes I have spent eight hours editing. And wow, sometimes I was just like, why, why am I doing this? This is insane. Just because I like it. Um, but I, I'm really glad I did that because now only this year did I hire someone to help me with the editing. I don't edit my podcasts in the sense that I don't cut out ums and ahs and sounds from people. And I know that you can do that. So the only time I've ever cut things are, you know, 
let's say halfway through, someone literally said to me once, my laptop's dying, I need to go plug it in. So you know, know, I'll edit those things out or that type of thing, or something just happens to go wrong. Or someone says, you know what, can I, can we just cut that out? Back that up. Yeah. Yeah. So knowing that I can do that is great, right? Huge learning curve. Had to learn audacity. I think I remember asking you too, what do you use? And, and just intricacies, like, where are you recording? So eventually I landed on Zencaster, but I had tried a few places and I've had lots of technical difficulties. So yeah, I think that's a part that I didn't anticipate. I just didn't think about it. Oh yeah, I'm going to podcast. <laughs> oh, right. I have to edit that. All right. How do I turn that into an MP3? And then, you know, and then finding at the time, at the beginning, finding, um, you probably told me this too, some platform that would convert, Convertio or something. Yep. And oh my God, the, there were tears. There were definitely tears. Um, yeah. And you know what? Thing, one thing I learned is, <laughs> I don't know if you had this problem, but I used to have my phone on beside me when I'd be podcasting. Oh my gosh. So I don't know if this is normal, but it would, it would go zzz, zzz, zzz through the whole podcast because it was interfering with something. So I did a podcast once with, um, I think it was Dr. Lene Brayboy, who was the, um, don't want to get it wrong what she does at clue the clue app she's okay yeah high up at the clue app and when I listened to it oh my heart sank because I thought well I can't ask her to do that again that's the one I spent about eight hours on I literally was in there doing like generate silence generate silence and it's not perfect but so yeah again then I learned like turn that off and so I eventually hired someone he's fantastic and now I'm like here are my three files can you blend the music for me? Because it all takes time, right? Blend the music in, blend the music out. I'd say the tech stuff is the biggest thing I learned. Of course, it takes time to prepare. But again, that depends on the kind of podcast, right? I, I am sure there are podcasts where it's like, let's just get on and let's just talk. And this is what we're going to talk about. So that's very different. And maybe I'll go there someday, you know, like sometimes I, I really just want to do that. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, it is a lot of work to to research and prepare everything. But the type that I've chosen to do takes me a lot of work to prepare. And it's so much about, yeah, your your goals and your values. And neither is wrong. Like, I still actually edit mine. I don't edit. I don't edit, edit this one. I edit the consummate athlete. Um, and, you know, for me as a like journalist who like, that's my main career is in media. It makes sense that I spend time like continuing to hone my editing skills. And, you know, I've had to learn how to use video editing and all that kind of stuff. And I don't love it, but it's part and parcel of being a a journalist. Whereas you're like, you're on the nutrition side, you're on the science side. So it makes way more sense that you spend that much time focusing on the the research and the prep part versus the editing and the, like that side of it. So I think, yeah, it, it makes perfect sense to me that that would be how you would do it. And you would have someone edit it for you now. Um, I was also going to ask, how do you organize uh, when you are researching? What do you use to kind of keep your notes and stuff together? Do you have like a do you use Instapaper to like put the research articles or using Evernote to take the notes? What's like the nitty gritty of this process? Or are you just like pen and paper here? Yeah, I'm either pen and paper or a Word document. 
So I, I only this year, I don't know how I got through a thesis without two screens, but I feel very lucky that I have two screens now. And so I'll have papers on one side, my Word doc on the other. And a lot of times I just write notes about interesting things. And then I, I create questions. Now, my questions don't mean that that's what we're going to talk about. But because the topics, you know, the questions I want to ask are often pretty in depth, I like to send them to um, people I'm going to have conversations with. Once or twice, I haven't because I felt like they they probably didn't really care. But yeah, I usually send them. And then I'll say, here are some questions. It doesn't mean we're going to follow the order. We can have a completely organic conversation. And here's what I find happens all the time. We end up talking about those eight topics in a completely different order. And because I've already thought about it, read about it, it's I find it's easy for me to be like, right so that he just said that she just said that i'm gonna how i'm gonna link that to that and it's all happening live right and i don't know if you're doing it right now but one of my favorite tips is to use a whiteboard and that's how i take notes during a podcast because our microphones are very good and so when i write yeah on a podcast it can pick it up if i'm on paper so yeah, that's how I, but as far as collecting info, which is your question, I just have research papers and uh, a Word doc and, and that's it. And I have my version I and I have their version. So I might send you a very clean version, but I might have in between the questions on my version, um, you know, other thoughts that I might want to throw in mm-hmm. depending, depending which direction we go. Yeah. I will say, honestly, doing it that way has been such an important shift that I made because I definitely used to be pretty 50-50. You know, if the person asked for questions, I would put them together. Otherwise, I usually knew enough. I'd read their book. I'd like, you know, listen to them on other stuff. I knew who they were. So I would just kind of go into it without questions and just be like very conversational. And when I shifted to, nope, everyone has questions. I think it really helped the podcast a lot because even if we don't follow them, you're right. Like having that and having even just that thought process before I get on the mic is very helpful. Uh, Like I've been doing this for a long enough time that I can just get on and filibuster and think up questions on the fly, but it's way better when I have the outline. Absolutely. I, I get most of my guests thank me for it. You know, thanks for like I did one this week. Um, Monday night, no, Tuesday night. And it was like, thank you for the questions because it really made me think about what I was going to say before. And he definitely didn't script it. I mean, it was uh, Dr. Xavier Gonzalez. I mean, he's brilliant. But yeah, it was just like, right, it gives you time. And like I said to you, what are we going to talk about? Because when I'm out walking, I'm like, oh, interesting question. You know, I don't, I don't typically walk and think about how did I get here? So if I want to articulate that, it actually is good to have that in my brain for a few days to be like, right, great question. How did I get here? (laughs) Well, and especially if you're talking to someone about a topic that they haven't often been interviewed about, like for for this topic, for our conversation right now, for example, like you, I know I could have you on the consummate athlete and we could talk about sports nutrition and you could go on unscripted and talk all day, no problem about any topic I threw at you. But this was going to be like a weird discussion. And I would still send you questions on the consummate athlete, but 
but I knew this one was definitely going to be outside of your your normal realm of what you're chatting about because it's very meta, right? You're thinking about thinking and thinking about how you work and it's a totally different situation. Yeah. Um, okay. We, we should wrap up soon, but before we do, I just want to kind of like touch on the podcast one more time and talk about let's just talk about the fact that like, these are not making us a living right now. Like, I think a lot of people think podcast is going to be this excellent side hustle, excellent, like, you know, part to my business that's going to immediately pay off cash wise. Not for me. <laughs> like, what is the value of it for you? Like what, what keeps you going in it other than getting to chat with awesome people all the time? Yeah, it's a really good question. Because trust me, I ask myself it definitely once a month, right? When I'm, I've, so the last six months, I did have a sponsor with Inside Tracker. That changed things a little bit because now I had to do a podcast a month, which doesn't sound like a lot, right? I know you do them on a weekly basis, but again, I'm, I have a lot of other things on the go and I do a lot of marketing. I make my own audiograms. Uh, I use Canva to do like marketing things and, uh, you know, just a lot of stuff that goes on social. So, and I do a newsletter attached to every podcast. I don't know how to do a short newsletter. <laughs> like it's ridiculous. I always say to myself every month, just keep it one page. I can't, there's like a friggin' like beginning with here's the six links so things where you know jump and I'm like oh my god I'm writing small books but that's just the way I operate so I'm often like what am I doing I'm spending so much time and I guess I always come back to I just want to take this science and I want people to be able to use it and I think that it's valuable and at least twice a month I get an email that's like thank you so much yada, 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 because of your newsletter or because of your podcast. Mm -hmm. I don't need that to keep going, but it sure helps. Right. And they're usually like just these amazing, sincere, short notes that someone's listened and how it's helped them. And most people probably wouldn't reach out, but I like to believe that, you know, I know how many people listen to it. So I like to believe that, right. I'm helping people. And at the end of the day, like, I think that's, I've been asked that by a few like life coaches that I've spoken to, like, why, why, why? And the end of the why is that I like to help people and I like to highlight people. Part of it is me giving the people on my podcast airtime. And that's not to be arrogant. So I go and like I have millions of people. No, but I know that these scientists work so hard, like I went to do my thesis because I wanted to know what it was like. And now I know what it's like. And wow, that's a lot of work. I had 10 people, you know, like when I see studies with a hundred people, I just fall over. So I love being able to say, Oh, you know, look at this is Dr. Emer Dolan. Look at the amazing work she's doing. I want to put her face up on Instagram. I want to, you know, I want people to go and learn about her and read more if they want and all that type of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not lucrative yet. I love it enough that I would like it to be my full-time job. So I will podcast full-time one day. So right now, when it became part of a contract, in a sense, with Inside Tracker, there, there was different pressure. Mm -hmm. I committed to XYZ deliverables every month. And that was for X amount of dollars, right? So yeah, that it made me think. 
and question, is that the pressure I want or do I want to just keep it? Yeah. So I think it's a really interesting question and yeah, I think I would love it to be a full-time job, but it definitely made me think about it more. Mm-hmm. I think you, you and I chatted about, you know, that in itself, finding sponsors and making money, that's a big investment of time. It's a huge investment in time. Yeah. And it's something I've been thinking about because my time is really limited. And I think, okay, like if I'm going to do that, you know, I need to have a really clear plan because it's a big deal. Like it's a big job. And then you need to have a really good relationship, show your value. How are you going to show your value? What's your, you know, what are your options you're giving them? Why do they go up? What about if they want to reuse your content? Uh, Are you exclusive? All of these questions that come to mind about, about making those relationships is, I think it's a bigger deal than most people probably. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I mean, all of that, like when you think about what you would make doing like a one-on-one session with a client, where you're actually talking about the thing that you want to be talking about versus spending all of this time on contract negotiations and everything, you know, to make the same amount of money. But flip side, you do reach more people, you know, the more you can podcast, the more you can actually make this more of a sustainable thing, the more people you can potentially reach. So I can see both sides, you know, before we got on, I was saying for me, it's it's writing an article that I'll get paid for versus, you know, spending the time trying to reach out to new sponsors and put all that stuff together. It's very daunting for me. I'm not a marketer uh, at heart. I wish I was. I wish I was better at it, but I'm not uh, working on it. But yeah, I think we, we've got this. This is our, our 2023 goal is that we're both going to get better at this. And maybe in maybe in early 2024, we'll have to do like another episode where we talk about our how, how did progress it go? over the year, our, our imperfect progress, if you will. Right. Yes, exactly. One thing about it that I think is interesting is recently I've been following, I think his name is Justin Moore. And this is what he does for a living. He helps people to get, um, you know, paid podcast partnerships. And I asked him, does it matter if the company is related to what I'm doing? And it was a hard no. You could have a real estate person as a podcast sponsor. You can anything. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a sports nutrition product. And that was important to me because I have had two people reach out in the past year that wanted relationships, but I couldn't because I didn't believe in the product. That's a huge thing. I won't won't do that. So I looked into it. I even like reached out to a local uh, scientist and being like, what do you think of this? Like, I'm not. And it was like, no. And I was like, I didn't, you know, I didn't think so either. So I can't attach that to my name. So it's funny because a lot of the, you know, industry related people that might be actually reaching out, credibility is everything. So Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. Yeah. If you can go non-endemic, it might actually be easier to find sponsors that you personally align with. Right. Without, yeah, the the stress. I love it. Okay. We should wrap up because we have taken far too much of your time, but tell everyone where they can find you, where they can listen to the podcast, all the things. Oh, that's great. Thanks. So Imperfect Progress with Ann Guzman. I know there's a few Imperfect Progress podcasts. I didn't, didn't research that well enough before I made my name. Um, yeah. And then on Instagram, I'm Guzman Ann. On Twitter, I'm Guzman Nutrition. I actually post a lot on LinkedIn. So and LinkedIn Guzman. is the new hot thing. I keep saying that on every episode of this podcast. Everyone is all about LinkedIn all of a sudden. 
I know. And you know, TikTok, I've been on there. I'm not consistent. I guess I think to myself, I don't think LinkedIn's going away. TikTok might get banned, right? So probably a hot place to be though. Um, I'm on there. I'm not very consistent. I think I'm Guzman and I don't even know. That's terrible. Um, but yeah, I'm on most social platforms. I would say I'm the most active on Twitter and my Instagram is, you know, a mix of, I always put my podcasts on Instagram though. So yeah, I try and be consistent. I don't know what you use. If you use any, um, like Hootsuite or anything. No, I've tried and I find, I just don't like kind of having to come up with everything. You know, I've tried to batch it and do it all one day and I never managed to get it all done. And then I'm just annoyed and I'd rather just kind of come, I'll come up with what I, <laughs> I'll just quickly get, I like in Canva every week, I do spend one day where I make all of like the consummate athlete things or all of the business and fitness things, but I don't caption them. I just put them into Instagram in drafts. And then I caption them throughout the week because I just don't have it in me to write coherent captions and do all the scheduling. And then you have to go in and story everything anyway, because they don't do that in the scheduling thing. So me yeah, and scheduling like, apps just don't get along. I feel like you could take some tasks off your hand that you don't enjoy by hiring someone. Oh, I definitely could. Yeah. Especially <laughs> that stuff. See, I actually, um, I'm not proposing myself to do it, but I like that stuff like for myself, for my own business, mm -hmm. but it's time consuming. It's so super I, time consuming. I know. Like I like so, making infographics, but wow, are they time consuming? Mm -hmm. They're awesome when they're done. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. But it took me hours to make. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's where I'm at. I like doing it. I like writing the captions, but I don't like doing it all at once. I just don't have it in me to do that and write articles and do this. Yeah. And do that. So anyway, anyway, and thank you so much for taking the time to chat. This was awesome. Um, yeah. Thank you. And keep, keep doing amazing work. Yeah, you too. I love it. And I love that you're, you're doing this podcast for business and women. It's totally amazing. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hopefully that was super informative, gave you a lot to think about. Uh, what I really, really liked about this conversation is we did get real about how much work it is to put a podcast together. I mean, obviously, uh, you all have heard me talk about uh, just what it takes to put this out every week. I also have my other podcast, The Consummate Athlete, that comes out every week. So, you know, it is a lot of work. And yes, there are absolutely some great marketing benefits to it, but you really do need to know what you're getting into as you're doing any of these things, right? Uh, you need to figure out what's going to make these sustainable practices for you uh, so that you can kind of keep going with this stuff. It's not just a one and done. You know, one podcast does not bring in the new clientele, a regular podcast that comes out, whether it's, you know, every day, whether it's every week, whether it's every month, like that's what really moves the needle. So it's that consistency. So anytime you're thinking about this new platform or, you know, trying a new thing on YouTube or whatever it might be, uh, just really thinking about is this going to be a sustainable thing or is this just a huge drain on my energy, huge drain on my resources? And I think if you have that lens, it makes it a lot easier to figure out the things that actually will move the needle and, and you know, really help you move your business forward. All right. If you have any questions for Market Yourself March or next month where we're all about product creation, product design, and bringing a product to market, uh, definitely let me know. Hit me up over at, at business.of.fitness on Instagram or at Molly J. Herford. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next week.